Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. I'm today's host, Jamie Simmons, with the Michigan Climate Action Network, or MICAN. This podcast is also brought to you by the Groundwork Center. In today's episode, we have four engaging guests talking about how we are building a climate justice movement while centering young people. Our guests are Joshua Perkins from the Black Millennials for Flint, Holly Pummel, a student leader at Michigan State University, Latia Leonard from Eaglesworth Youth Energy Squad, and Arado Letta from Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition. I had the opportunity to moderate this panel discussion at the Michigan Climate and Clean Energy Summit on May 27th. We talk about what building power means, allowing young leaders to take the lead in digital organizing and economically investing in young leadership. It was a great conversation about how young people are leading this movement and ways more organizations can engage young people in authentic ways in the climate justice movement that you just do not want to miss out on. Um, I got into this work when I was the uh, president uh, for Memphis Urban League Young Professionals. We started partnering with Black Millennials for Flint to do work um, around lead and water. And so we started canvassing and getting awareness out to communities about lead pipes and um, and just kind of um, starting the conversation. And so um, that is how I got started. But Black Black Millennials for Flint started in Flint, Michigan. And so it is a grassroots organization who focuses on, uh, you know, environmental injustices and specifically lead and water and lead paint. And so we work um, nationally as well as in Baltimore, Flint, um, Washington, D.C., as well as Memphis. And so those are some of the cities that we touch. Um, and it's just been very rewarding uh, to do this work, bring awareness and start being um, change agents. And so that is what our mission is to, to actually step up, not just talk about it, but actually also propose solutions and, and hold people accountable that are in the seats to make change. And so I'm just glad to be here. And that's my brief summary. Thank you, Josh. And um, thank you for joining us today. And I look forward to hearing more about your perspective and the work that uh, Black Millennials for Flint has done and will be doing in the future to uplift youth experience, education, and voices in this climate action movement. Next, I would like to invite Holly Pummel, a student leader and former sustainability assistant for Michigan State University, to share more about herself and her journey within this uh, movement in Michigan. Thank you, Jamie. My name is Holly Pummel. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, So I just graduated from Michigan State University in environmental economics and management. Um, And throughout my time at being at Michigan State, I worked for the residential and hospitality services and sustainability, focusing on student behaviors of including more sustainable behaviors in their lives, including dorms in the residence hall, the residence halls and the dining halls. So I had the chance um, over the last three years to conduct the ECREP program where they get to learn about the sustainability practices at Michigan State, whether it's, you know, on our level or throughout the university. That was a very, really cool um, opportunity. I also was a student leader for the Sustainable Business Association where I had the opportunity to work with a bunch of students uh, within my major who were interested in learning more about their network, attending, you know, conferences such as these to expand, you know, the what, what's going on in Michigan, what's going on nationally, internationally, uh, when it comes to climate change and sustainability. Um, and then I'm going to be continuing uh, to grad school at Colorado State University um, to do a master's in political science and environmental economics and or environmental politics and policy. So I'm hoping to continue that through research and programming. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. And also thanks for being a part of this panel as a also a fellow graduate of MSU. Uh, it always brings me joy to have a, a Spartan within the conversation. And speaking of another uh, Spartan, <laughs> I would like to uh, introduce Latia Leonard, co-director of uh, EcoWorks Youth Energy Squad to talk about more of her work and her impact uh, at, at EcoWorks. Yes, thank you, Jamie. And yes, um, I am a Spartan. I'm a proud Spartan. Um, so surprise. Um, yes, um, thank you all. Um, thank you, Jamie and Mike for inviting me. Um, my name is Latia Leonard. I am the co-director of the Youth Energy Squad uh, of EcoWorks Detroit. Um, I've been with uh, YES, which we call for short, um, since January 2020. Um, And I also come from a background of community engagement and youth development. 
Uh, prior to coming to Yes, um, I had been well, um, kind of really well into a lot of community projects that really centered on environmental justice, uh, particularly around water quality. Um, so I've been very um, uh, blessed to be able to help build, do a lot of community building around uh, lead uh, and waters, particularly working in communities around Flint, um, working in Benton Harbor, um, working in Highland Park, and even working in Detroit, working with some of our partners uh, across Southeast Michigan, uh, leading a lot of that work. And so um, this work has really broadened my understanding of not just what it means to have racial justice and equity in this space, um, but also really widening my lens to how it specifically impacts one of our most vulnerable populations. Um, so I'm really um, just thankful to be here and, and have a great conversation today. Thank you, Latia. We're happy to have you here as well. Our next and last panelist for today um, will be Arata Oleti, Detroit organizer of Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition, also environmental justice activist. Uh, I invite you to the stage, Arata, to talk more about your story and your work. Yes, thank you, Jamie. Peace, everybody. Uh, my name is Arata Jerry-Olenta. I go by Arata for short. Uh, I think first I want to start off by saying I am a human and I take that very seriously because I believe in this whole symbiotic relationship with the things that I need to make me live, whether that's my water or my community or a food or just a relationship that I build. And over the last, I think, four or five years, I've really dove deep into this idea of community building and centering youth engagement and youth voices with that. Um, I was an AmeriCorps service member for four years serving with the Youth Energy Squad, whoop, whoop, uh, where let's is now the co-director of. And then during my time in that space, I was able to not only um, serve young people and helping them build place-based skills around green infrastructure, but also um, starting programs of my own. I started something called 28 Days of Black Excellence, where I bring black and brown professionals to schools to have conversations with young people about unconventional jobs. So we have anywhere from artists to people who are climate activists um, to people who do STEM as their focus, but really wanted to make sure that young people and especially black, uh, black and brown young people were able to see people that look like them in fields that they aspire to or you didn't even knew existed. Um, more recently, I started um, a project and now company um, called the Chip Bag Project, where I turn potato chip bags into sleeping bags for the homeless. Um, and we use that to not only hire um, displaced nomadic individuals, but also provide education around just our trash infrastructure. And then now I am with MEJC as our Detroit organizer. And it's just been a great experience to be able to not take all of those skills that I've learned over the last couple of years and put that into real community work and being not only a voice for my community, but being a resource hub too. So I'm really excited to be here and thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, Arata. I'm so excited to have you a part of this conversation. I love your hair today. Um, moving on, uh, this is where we're gonna kind of open up the discussion with the panel around building a movement and centering young leadership. Uh, we will have kind of two themes that will have several layers of questions um, that I will uh, engage with the panelists around. And uh, after these uh, two things have two themes have been covered, uh, I will definitely uh, open up the discussion around the questions in the chat. And if there's any questions that come up while we're having the, the discussions uh, with our already established uh, themes, I will definitely uplift that to the panel as well. So to kind of kick off this conversation, I want to open up in, um, the question of what does building power mean to you and how does centering young voices and leadership in an authentic way add to that fight for climate justice? And what does this or could this look like? OK, so I, I, I would just jump in. Um, I think uh, building power to me is is a little bit of mentoring our younger generations, but by sharing our platform. I think a lot of times we mentor, but we don't actually give the opportunity to share the platform. I think we have to um, be open to 
sharing our space and allowing younger generations to build on to the knowledge we already have, because of, of course, uh, time is moving and, and there's always going to be something new to learn, especially with our younger generations. And like me, I am not a TikTok user, but <laughs> you know, there are some things that they can definitely teach us that I think we have to be open and, and open-minded about allowing it in and, and, and being opti- optimistic about um, what we're doing. And so, and, and, and along with that, we have to also take them into these communities, show them the effect that, it's, that these um, injustices are having in our community. And I think that they will also intrigue the mind um, to make them want to be more involved because that's what, did it for me, you know, just hearing about lead and paint uh, in water. I mean, it was a great conversation piece, but I think when I was able to get into, into the community and see it firsthand and see the effects and everything that was happening, it made me want to be more active and involved with this movement. So I think that's something that we have to do. Uh, you want to go, Oh uh, Yeah. Sorry, Arata. Um, Yeah, I would just like to uh, kind of piggyback off uh, what Joshua just said. And I think I'm going to even go a little further by saying that I think what's very important about building power is that we first acknowledge that the power is also theirs. Um, I, I, whenever I'm working with community-based organizations and working with other um, people, you know, people who are trying to incorporate youth, um, there's always this immediate incline to like create a kitty table. And I say that because um, working with young people and working with them very intentionally, um, I have come to learn that um, young people are very capable of articulating for themselves. They are very much um, in line with many of the things that we're already fighting for. And sometimes it, like Joshua just pointed out, it just becomes a matter of us sharing that with them. Um, When I was specifically working in Flint, um, I allowed myself to only be um, a, a venue for allowing them to have their voice. Um, and so that I was not speaking for them. Um, here, here is the mayor of Flint. You talk to her directly about what your concerns are. Um, here is the tools to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, you plan and figure out, and I will just be a resource. I think many of our young people are, um, they're at, at most, they're frustrated because they feel like they're, they come into spaces and there is so much assumption about what they do and don't know. And I think we just need to start there with saying that there is no, I'm here because I'm older or I'm an adult, but that you have knowledge as well that you bring to the space and that we need to elevate that as much as possible. That was great, Lucia. Um, I think just also to just add, when I think of power building, I always think of this concept of building a house. And when you're building a house, you understand that there are so many layers and there are so many skills that you need to make this a functional functioning house. And when you're trying to build power, you think of it in that way. Young people have their own special set of skills and their own perspective that they use and that we don't even know about that we can't tap into because we're not in that age range and we don't live in that world. So we have to understand that as we're bringing them into the space, we have to create space for them to be able to use that power and to exercise that and not necessarily feel as if they need to jump onto the things that we have already established, but giving them space to be able to create their own roles, create their own ideas, use their own set of skills and not feel like they have to kind of fit into our movement, but allowing the movement to be so expendable and so uh, malleable that they can just come in and say, hey, I'm going to create my own lane. I'm going to create my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Because a a lot of the time, adults, as somebody who is just crossing the threshold, I'm going to say as somebody who is just crossing the threshold of young of a young person to adulthood um i always felt as if i was coming into a space to give a a young person's voice but not a young person's energy like they just wanted me to come and talk and say something but nobody really respected the things that i was saying and i had a, a wealth of knowledge because i was living that life so as we're trying to build power, especially building power with young people, we have to make sure that we're elevating the already established power they do have and not necessarily feeling like we have to now give them newfound power, just lifting up the power they feel within themselves and letting them know 
no, whatever space they are in right now is valid, is needed, is respected, and is it's definitely a part of the movement and not feeling like we have to change them to fit the um, already established structure that we have in mind, but allowing them to come as they are and saying, hey, we'll create space for you. If you're only good at social media and TikTok, we'll create that space for you. If you want to learn about emails, we'll create that space for you, but not just saying we need this, now fall in line and do that. Because at that time you start to go stagnant and you're not evolving and you're not growing and young people are growing and evolving. And that's how we build a, a power movement together. All, that was all amazing. Um, I would have to say that, you know, building the movement forward, there's a realization that climate change impacts everybody and we have to move together and work together and find ways. But I do think that it's important to raise the voices of young people because they're the ones who are going to be dealing with these issues later on. Not everyone's going to be around for that. And we have to realize what innovative ways can they help us move forward. And just being at Michigan State, you know, I, I can think of so many amazing student leaders at MSU who I'd love to bring in here and talk about what they're doing on campus. There's so many revenue, like avenues and journeys that people go on of figuring out what, what part of climate change do they want to address. And I think that that's a really great opportunity for people to work together, you know, whether, you know, you have somebody who's a mentor or a facilitator for things or introducing you to other groups to use your her voice is so essential in this movement. And I, I was very fortunate at MSU within my position that I had the chance to really make up my own position, what I was doing with these eco reps, how did I talk to them, you know, and getting their feedback because I never wanted them to feel less, even though I was leading the program, I wanted them to feel like they were part of a bigger group and that we were working together to make a Spartan Green Living certification for students to understand their sustainable, like their behaviors and their lives. And how can they talk to people on campus about different programs and what's going on in Michigan in general? I, I think there's a lot of great conversations that can be said and building together is the only way we're going to do that. I completely agree. That was a, a great way <laughs> to kind of tap that conversation off of building together is how we do that. And we've kind of brought up so far the idea of sharing space and bringing light to the injustices. So people, and especially young folks, can actually put names and labels to things that are happening, can really start walking through uh, their communities and through society actively being aware of things that's going on and why and impacts. Um, one question uh, that I want to uplift that kind of builds upon that conversation is, how do we have these climate and environmental justice conversations in these unconventional spaces that are more attractive to younger folk, um, like TikTok or breaking the email chain? Um, how can we expand the, the methods that traditionally a lot of climate action and climate justice organizations and coalitions have used to make it more approachable for youth leaders? Ooh, can I, can I go? Um, cool. Um, I, I think from, I, this is a conversation that I've been having uh, over the last two months because I am a huge TikTok and social media activist that I believe in the power of using social media to get your voice across. Um, and the best way to do it is like, look at what's trending, look what people are interested in and see a way to be able to curve your messaging. Um, I talked to a friend of mine and I was like, man, I'm really trying to get down with all this propaganda that oil companies are spilling out on TikTok and stuff. And like, how do we start to cohort, um, co-opt that message? How do we um, take that and make that our own too at the same time by still keeping a very real conversation and including people in the community? And it's very easy to do that. I look up every single day when I wake up in the morning, it's very annoying at times, um, but I look up what's trending. I look what's trending on social media. If people are listening to a certain sound, if I'm going to make a climate video, that's what I'm putting that sound to, because that's how you get young people to be interested. If I'm thinking about something, I'm I will think to myself, maybe I'm not the person to make this video. Let me reach out to one of my young people and say, hey, let's have a conversation about this. And what are you thinking about? And what do you think about this topic? And I if, if they tell me, yo, this is boring. I don't like the way you're saying this. I don't get offended. I'm like, OK. How can I make this more interesting for you? I have conversations with young people. A lot of the times we sit in silos like this um, and we talk about what we need to do to get young people in instead of just asking young people, what do you need to feel more connected into this conversation? What do you need to make you feel bought in? The same way we will do that in a space is the same way you do that on social media. You give the power to them and you ask them those very direct questions and say, hey, 
how can I make this more interesting for you? Whether that's you're, you're going to the thing that's more trending, you're talking to young people to give them the message and have them be the voice for that messaging, even if you might be the arbiter of the script or whatnot, it's perfectly fine to do that because you're still giving power to them. You're allowing them to use their voice to make a change while still providing guidance and providing that resource for them. So again, it's just making sure that you're checking about what's trending. Like you don't have to sit in your room and figure in and, and like try to imagine, oh my God, I don't know what's hip right now. They have a button on so all social media platform that says what's trending. You can look at that and you can you can Google and you can see this is what's um hip right now. We talk to young people. We all know a young person. We can say, hey, can I just have a conversation with you for five minutes? I'll pay you $20. I will pay you $40. Just talk to me for one second. Can I pay you? I, pay young people to make videos for me on social media. I don't just say, hey, come do this for your free time. But like, I give you monetary value because I want you to know that your voice and the thing that you're speaking on does affect your future. And a lot of young people equate their future with economic status. So if I'm going to tell you about your future, I'm going to say, how can I start to add to you economically now? And a way to do that is through social media. Young people want to be paid for their TikToks. Pay them to make you a TikTok. Pay them to make you a social media post. Pay them to do your email stuff for you to a younger generation, a younger crowd. You don't have to necessarily sit down and talk to other adults about it. You can literally give all that power to young people and trust that they want to live in an earth where they don't have to buy um, air out of a glass. They, they don't want to live in a world with um, polluted water. So because they don't want to live in that world, they will be really, really interested in making sure that it don't that doesn't happen as well. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And our CEO, Latricia Adams, is the queen of using the hottest songs, the hottest uh, things that's out to create um, the actual titles and topics and things of that nature. And I think that that's very catchy. And that's definitely something that intrigues uh, the younger generation. And And so kudos to her for always making sure that it's very appealing you know, and I think we have to get out of the, the traditional flyers and, and things of that nature. We have to catch them how we can, like with the video flyers now, the moving flyers, the different graphics and things that go into it. And so, um, and we definitely use our ambassadors um, and have those conversations that Rada is talking about to to try to stay, you know, up to date with what's going on. And as I say, to stay hip you know, and, and catch up. And so, um, I definitely agree with all that, um, that you say. I I think that the interesting thing is, is there's so much content. Like I feel overwhelmed by content. So what I liked when I was working with my e-corrupts and when they were creating social media campaigns to talk about our food waste programs at Michigan state, or just, you know, how to be more sustainable during the holiday season, I was thinking of things that it's like, quality over quantity. You want to have really great conversations with people. I think that that's more impactful than having a short snippet conversation of like, oh, this is something you should care about, but they don't have a resource to move forward with that. Um, I also agree TikTok and, you know, really investing and valuing, you know, students work of making these things is so important because that shows them that what they're working on matters and that they're valued. And I, I feel that a lot of times young people are undervalued and taken advantage of because of their passion. And that's not fair. That's not fair to them or moving forward in the movement. Um, As you guys know, this, you know, fighting for, you know, against like fighting against climate change is exhausting and it burns people out. And if you aren't valuing those people, even if it's, you know, just talking with them and just saying, you're doing a really nice job, this, this is really good work or helping them move forward in their goals. Like, Those are things we need to think about when we're building the movement and when we're talking with others and how we move these conversations forward. And like everyone else is saying, you know, TikTok is great. Social media is great, but there's also a limit with that of, you know, your focus and your patience to do it. So what other ways can you have valuable conversations? Is that, you know, with your family? Is that with your friends? Are you part of different organizations that aren't totally in line with climate change? I I really, I value that. And I know that I have conversations with people over coffee or over a beer, whatever that may be, you know, if you're legal to drink um, all those good stuff, it's, it's great to have those opportunities and those conversations. Yeah. I would just add that. Yeah. Um, uh, in the great words of my friend, uh, Monica Lewis, Patrick, um, she said, you know, I don't like to liken myself as an environmentalist. 
I'm a social justice advocate with a green lens. And I think that that applies here, whether it's TikTok, whether it's photography, whether it's painting, whatever that avenue is for that young person, that's what you connect to first. Um, because I can explain to you the environmental impacts, but if you don't really latch onto what their interests are, you're going to lose them in the beginning. And that is a really strong philosophy that um, the Youth Energy Squad goes by. Um, if you, we've had kids do so many different art projects. Arada is very aware of this because she has led some of those projects. Um, and so it's the technology thing. I don't even have a TikTok. I've never been on it, by the way, a confession. Um, but I know that it's so many different ways that young people, they like to express themselves through poetry, through so many means. And I think that there is a there is a way in which you can go to that young person and say, I know you like photography. Here is a, pro a really cool project that can have also a real deep connection to the environmental justice movement. And I also think I want to go a little further and say that I think part of it too has to be really breaking down like what does it actually mean to work in this space? Um, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, do you want to do EJ work? I may have hesitated because I would have thought in my mind, oh, I got to have a chemistry background. I got to have um, I got to have like a, a master's in biology and that's not it at all. Uh, what you are good at is what you can bring to the space and that's how you can contribute. And so I think really making making it so much less about, uh, which STEM is important, STEM is very important. But I think that when you talk in, especially to our black and brown youth, that's the first thing that they're thinking of. And so they don't, there's spaces where youth don't necessarily feel like they can really connect in that sense. And that's why that representation that Arata talked about, it matters because now I can stand in front of our young people and say, hey, you can do this job just like I can too. And that matters a lot. Thank you all so much. And I, uh, the idea of creating accessibility around language and participation is something that comes up in a lot of spaces within um, climate justice and social justice uh, talks. And uh, definitely pushing the agenda of like buy-in and understanding that youth today are heavily aware of intersections. They are identifying the way that climate justice and social justice, as well as um, an array of other things that's going on are interacting with each other. And often social media, Twitter, <laughs> TikTok are, are spaces where these conversations are being whole. What are, uh, and I kind of wanna, um, Break it up of kind of Arata and um, Holly going first of what are some things that you've done within a, your youth stages uh, that was impactful for you and uh, really stuck with you and motivated you to to be in the spaces that you are do, going towards the work that you are today and for Latia and Joshua what are some things that your organizations have done that had amazing turnout and really was inspirational to the communities that you serve. Um, I outgrab, bro. Um, I think for me, something that was really valuable um, was the fact that I was allowed to make mistakes. Um, when I served with Youth Energy Squad, um, that was like my place where I could make mistakes. I could ask questions. I I could come into that space and say I did not know. Um, and also say, this is what I'm good at. And this is how I want to use my skills and flex my skills. And all of that was really respected. Um, so for me, that was a really valuable experience because the, it let me know that I could do anything in this world. And I like, I had no limits. Um, and that like my limitations were only, um, shortened by the amount of questions I did not ask. So if I was very curious about something, I didn't ask a question, I'm limited by the fact that I did not know, I did not explore that conversation. So uh, again, for me, I, it was a lot of the, the room that I was given to in my, I call yes, like my first adult job, um, because like, even though it wasn't a job, it was a space that allowed me to learn job skills. Ooh, I broke something. Um, it was a place that allowed me to learn jobbing skills while still allowing me to 
be a youth and be young and and be curious and not like have to curb my curiosity and like it was a space that like if I was like oh my god Brian I, I want to turn you know water bottles into a six foot minion and let's do that with tires from the neighborhood and it's going to take me three months and I'm probably going to forget other work but I want to do this with my friends and the kids and and he was like yeah let's do this okay like what can I do to support you if I'm like I want to paint and and paint an entire school with a bunch of artists from the neighborhood the principal was like yeah of course Arata go ahead go do that you want to paint the whole school and give kids just paint to just paint everywhere and they were like yeah go do that I was like oh my god this is great so all of those yeses even a couple of no's that I got in between that and all the questions that I asked allowed me to feel as if there is not a space that I have to I don't fix myself when I go into space. I don't feel like I have to code switch when I go into space. I don't feel like I have to curb my personality or not wear beads in my hair because some people might not find that professional. And all of these things that I learned and and the room that Youth Energy Squad gave me allowed me to really come into my adulting because then as I was growing up, I didn't feel as if I had to fit into a mode. Every space I went into, I was just like, okay, how do I allow this space to fit into me? Um, how do I allow this space to like work with me? And it was never the other way around. Like, oh my God, I got to stop doing this. I can't curse as much because I'm around a bunch of people. It was never that. It's just like, I'm coming into this space, love me or don't like me. I'm going to say all the F you's and, you know, all the curse words I want to say. And if you don't like that, you know, I'm so sorry about that. And if I want to have a creative idea and have an outburst and have energy, I can also do that. So yeah, I love room. And I think if I didn't have room, I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. You know, being yourself, your true self is so important. And I think that uh, for so long, it was like, you need to be this certain way when you're in professional spaces. And I, I don't think that box is fair for people. Um, you know, when I go into any job or anything I do, I carry myself as high as I can to esteem, not like working, being willing to work with anyone, whoever comes my way, but also taking ownership and pride in the work and the passions that I have for what I'm working for. Um, I think that's so important when you're moving forward in this movement and anything in general. Uh, and then some other things that I, I find important is, you know, having good mentors. We, you need a good mentor. It's really nice to have one. When, you know, I interned at Ducks Unlimited and as a policy intern and for Wetland Park, protection. And I was taken like literally under their wing. They were willing to, you know, listen to my questions and push me and challenge me still, because you know what, I might've been just a year out of like, just my first year done with college that summer, but I was willing to put in the hard work. I showed up as my true self and I wasn't going to hide that. And that's not fair to, you know, ask that of young people to hide that, Be, be yourself, be willing to speak up and show your passion, show what you care about. Um, I think it's also important for your mentors to listen to ideas that you have and what you want to implement and the goals you want to get there, because this is what is important to you and bringing those to the table. Like, even if it's something that can't happen right away, usually in my experience, isn't everybody's, I had the opportunity to get some tools to move forward in those goals and those projects. So it's investing in yourself, showing who you are and just really taking in your environment around you and being willing to put your passion and yourself before other things, which I think is important to do in any part of your life. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, um, and Arata kind of hit on this, um, everything we start with at Yes is really just rooted in community building. Um, regardless of whether you know what environmental justice is, whether you know what sustainability is, that's much less relevant to us as it is about you come into the space, we welcome you into the space, and what do you want to bring to share with others? And what do you want to learn? And we take that approach of really just driving it to um, really connecting it to the fact that whatever you are concerned about in your community, whether you may or may not think this an environmental issue, we can connect it to an environmental issue. Um, I take um, Hope Park um, as one of our great examples. Um, a few years ago, this was a, a project that was initiated as part of one of our green team sessions um, at Cody, uh, in which uh, the project, it, it really started as um, there was um, a couple of homes that was across the street from Cody that um, was vacant, um, it's blight, 
and students really were like, we don't like this across the street from our school. Um, and so they petitioned the city, got the city to knock the houses down. And we went from there to developing a, a community space in which the students designed the park. They put the work in, they put the sweat equity in to create community style park. Because it was the blight in the houses that started that, that seed, however way it was planted, but it started with those homes. When in letting those young people design what they wanted in their community, now I can now use that to have a conversation with them about developing green spaces, about beautification process projects, because we let them lead on what they wanted for their community. And it really starts there with that community building of like what you want and what you care about is something that is also important to your neighbors, to your classmates, to the people in your schools. And so there is essentially, there's really no wrong answers when it comes to building your community and making it better. And that's that's a really strong approach uh, that, that we take at, at the Youth Energy Squad. So um, there's a few things. So we know that there's so many levels to um, just work and having an impact. And so one thing is we know that with uh, we partnered with Verde Valley, a school in Arizona, and we did a project with them. And it was like for two weeks where the students were able to, since COVID was going on, we weren't able to visit, but we were able to still do the work virtually. We held a two week thing where they were able to pick a, a, um, a issue, uh, some environmental issue. They were able to dig deep um, and find out how, how could they, a resolution to it. But not only that, during those two weeks, there are always the people who like to be behind the scene, who like to like do the work, uh, provide the documents. There's those who want to be on the ground running, uh, canvassing, knocking on doors. And then those are there are um, students and individuals who want to actually be in contact with elected officials who want to be that, that front force. And so during these two weeks, it allowed the students to kind of explore those options and see what type of leader are you? And there is no small role in either one of them, because even if you're making documents or creating uh, information, things to go out, or even if you're out canvassing, or if you're talking to elected officials, all those play a big role for the big picture. And so that was really impactful. And I think the students, they were nine through 12, really enjoyed doing the work. They were able to speak. We aligned them to speak with like the governor and, and the people, the elected officials for uh, Arizona. It was a great experience. And so I think those are some of the things that we have to continue doing. Uh, we also created a space with our um, ambassador, our lead ambassador um, program, which those students who participate in it create their own um program of interest of some issue, they also receive a stipend, you know, and we know that this work is hard work. And so we do want to be, um, we want equity in it and we don't want them to just do something to do it. And so the buy-in is making sure that they're invested and what way to be more invested if you're getting a stipend. So, you know, the work is going to get done. And I think that we have to make sure that we're trying to elevate um, are you any way that we can? And so those are some ways that we kind of work and try to touch the younger generation. Thank you all so much. Um, and uh, something that I really want to highlight uh, is the idea of really uplifting community building and community buy-in. Uh, often when we think about, well, how can we bring in young people? How can we bring in people of color? How can we bring in older folk? Like it's all about recognizing and um, understanding that community, each community has its own needs and the way that it navigates and really letting, allowing them to take the lead in their own success um, especially within climate justice and gaining a better education of the things that needs to happen to uh, create a better future for all of us uh, as a as a species, <laughs> as, as a, a part of the environment that we're in. Um, a huge part of that is community buy-in and actually being very very intentional with uplifting community voices. Uh, and in in this session specifically, you <laughs> you. We've talked a lot about uh, the kind of interpersonal things that needs to be done to bring in youth and things that organizations can do. And I kind of want to switch gears to thinking about even a larger picture. And the question that I want to uplift is, what does a just and clean economy look like? 
And how do we continue to build the movement to that just and clean economy in a way that is economically inclusive and sustainable for young people? And we have uh, roughly like 10, 12 minutes to really dive into this conversation. So I really um, encourage you all to, to uplift whatever ideologies that come up for you in the, for that. Um, I love that question, Jamie. I love that question so much. Um, I, I think that's something that I've been really sitting and thinking about over the last couple of months with the fact that like, I'm starting a company and I'm, I'm going to have a company in a neighborhood that has not had the best relationships with companies and people that are trying to build. Um, Cause it's always been about the system of taking more than you're giving back to that community. So for me, um, what I started to think about is how can I give more than I take and how can I not allow profit to be the motivator, but allow equity to be the motivator of how I'm building this company. And the first way we do that is by getting community conversation and community buy-in into not only the process of how we build out our company, but also in the way that we run and allowing that to be a living document so people do not feel like if, okay, we're made these bylaws or we've made this process and it's nothing is ever going to change or we've done this thing and we made the suggestion and we're just going to walk away from the process. But allowing this kind of open revolving door system so that people feel as if no matter what time of the day they can come in and say, hey, Arata, I don't really like this. I need you to change this and not feel as if they're talking to a brick wall. Um, with young people with community members, especially in um, underserved communities, that's what you see. People feel as if they're talking to brick walls. They're talking to people who are only looking at them as either a problem or a paycheck. And you don't want to, I look at people as human beings. And when I'm doing work, I look at you as a human. I look about, I think about what do you need to live a, a just, equitable, and sustainable life? What do you need to live and be happy? What do you need to live and also give back? And how can I create those systems within the work that I'm trying to do now? Because it wouldn't make sense to have a company if everybody in your neighborhood is dying. Um, for me, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to have a company if everybody in the neighborhood cannot afford it. Um, it doesn't make sense to me to have anything in a community that does not serve that community and the community is not part of it, where people people who are there are, are um not only part of that process, they're in the decision-making, they're in the implementation of it, they're also in the crit criticism of it, and they're also in the rebuilding process. So again, for me, it's like creating a space where people can always feel like they can talk to you and a living system that people always know that it's gonna change. What you're seeing today does not have to be our forever system and our forever system is always evolving. Making sure that we're getting community voice, not in a very passive way, but in an active way where we're taking your voices and we're using it right then and there. And also we're giving you space to criticize how we use your voice or how we use your suggestion and also creating more avenues so that each individual person that's in that process feels as if they have equity. We offer shares to community members who are in our neighborhoods that we have um, chip back projects. We have, you know, I, I do that because I want you to feel like this is your company and not just the company in your neighborhood. So like really those kind of systems and like we're trying to build life cycles for people. If you're trying to build a life cycle for, for a person, you think about what do I need and what did this person need to live? And when you start thinking about that, and not only in a community perspective, but in an individual perspective, you have complete buy-in. Yeah, uh, I like I like that. And I think that um, I'm going to go with what Brian shared earlier uh, in the session I was in when he said change the narrative and the narrator if we have to. And I think that that's very important um, that we're doing both. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy here. Uh, if I get a flat tire or something, uh, a nail in my tire, I have two options. I can get that tire plugged or I can buy a new tire. And I think um, when we're thinking about what we're doing now, we have to make sure that we're not thinking about just right now. We need to make sure that we're coming up with solutions that can last for a long time and for generations to come and not just a quick fix. And I think sometimes people want a quick fix. In reality, we need to think about 
hey, how is this going to affect my grandchildren? How is this going to affect, um, you know, children to come, generations to come, the black and brown communities? What, what does this look like? And so I think we have to sometimes look way past in the future, try our best to do so, um, to make sure that things are working the way it should and that we are passing knowledge down that they can continue to build on and grow on. And we're not just selfishly thinking about us right now. And if we can do that, I think that that's, a great start to make sure that things are sustainable for our young people. Yeah, I would uh, say that um, I think part of having a just clean economy um, has this really strong intersection with uh, equity equity in education. Um, I think that, and I say this all the time, but there needs to be a complete uh, destruction of the corporal nature of public education. Um, kids should not be just learning about climate change and sustainability when they are only about to enter high school. Um, and that's something that, yes, has for years used as an intervention to say, like, it doesn't matter if you're only in the second grade. You, We can tell you about recycling. You'll get it. We can tell you about um, how to grow food in your own backyard and you'll get it. And so I think that um, starting with there of saying like, we need to have an education system that is built towards this, that will support this, not only for our students, but for our educators um, and create a power knowledge construct around a a clean economy, um, that that is something that absolutely needs to happen. And one of the things that I always tell young people, especially even in our programming is that you know, we need to have um, public education systems, especially post-secondary that are geared towards towards these type of careers. Um, We should, we should, and and my hope is that we are moving towards a a society that will have uh, uh, readily available programs where we can expand uh, clean economy related careers in community colleges and vocational programs. Because every, I I don't wanna keep telling these kids that the only way that you can be successful in life is go to a four-year university. No, you can go to that vocational school, learn the skills, and then you start your own business in the same way that Raj just did with her chip bag project. So I think it's really expanding it around saying that the clean economy sector intersects so many things of um, how do we address workforce development? How do we address education? How do we address community development? And making that all part of the conversation with uh, the clean clean economy sector. I really like this question. Uh, I had an environmental justice course this year as its first time running through at MSU. And something that whenever we had conversations, whether it be about food sovereignty, clean air, clean water, climate change, anything, and just anything, a root of evil is capitalism. We cannot continue in this. It's letting the 2% do well and everyone else struggle. And we cannot, it's not sustainable. It hasn't been, we know that. Um, oil companies are already like bleeding at the knees with announcements of halving things. They are allowing the few to have power over so many people who deserve to have clean water, deserve to have clean air, and have opportunities for you know education in this and healthcare. You know everything's so interconnected within the climate movement and just in our daily lives that to move forward, we have to fight that. We have to move into more of a circular economy and promoting clean jobs and promoting that, just instilling it within the life we live. Because right now it's just so, sorry, my dogs are playing in the background if you hear them. Um, it, it's just not, it's not gonna work out and we, we can't continue on this path. And it was, it was every single conversation in that class, I swear it led to, all right, well, this is the root problem. How are we going to move forward and what can we do to promote things and chip away at a system that's broken? Well, it's not broken. It's working great for some and not anyone else. Okay. You all brought up an amazing point that I like are constantly on my mind as also being a younger person. Uh, well, kind of being like erotic, uh, described earlier, a, a person, younger person transitioning into adulthood. Um, so when I think about uh, a lot of things that we talked about today, one, investing in young people, literally putting money into their pockets um, for the work they do. I think a part of that capitalistic society ideology is volunteer work and unpaid internships. And uh, as that might have worked for generations before us, uh, we are 
all, when you think about students in college and just like the economic disaster that we had because of COVID last year, people need really need money. People need money for buy-in and that's not an unrealistic goal or un unrealistic thing that we can't meet. Um, so as we look into how to center and pull more folks in, especially youth, especially communities of color, putting money to that is just as important as any aspect of organizing. Um, and we have three minutes left. So I just wanna thank all of you uh, for being a part of the panel and uh, all the folks and attendees that are here joining us with this conversation. Uh, for those of us who might wanna revisit this conversation or uh, we will be kind of organizing an advancement of this, this movement and this conversation and this work. Um, with, I will be working with the folks on this panel to actually develop that space of bringing in more youth voices and kind of uplifting their ideas of how we can really expand the, the climate justice movement in our state, in our country, and uh, how young people should be the leaders uh, of, of that movement. So I definitely want to, once again, thank you all and kind of give you a uh, the panels like 30 seconds to run through some last last thoughts or comments that you might want to make. I just enjoyed this space, enjoying sharing this space with such brilliant young ladies. Um, thank you for sharing what you all shared. I think I learned some things from you guys as well. So thank you. And we'll just keep pushing and fighting. I feel yeah, very fortunate. Go, go ahead. Start. Start. No, you were first. <laughs> All right, well, I feel very fortunate to be on this panel and to have these conversations and, you know, all of you guys in this Zoom call, you know, we're moving forward. We have to, you know, keep building together and do the best we can with that, but also making sure that we don't completely burn ourselves out and giving us, you know, your love and your appreciation for the work, all the hard work you're doing. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I would like to say thank you. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's a very, very important one. Um, and if anyone on this call is thinking, wow, how can I take this information back and get involved with young people? You can reach out to young people to talk about that. <laughs> Facts. Um, for me, equity over everything. If you're not making equitable decisions, what decisions are you making? Um, and if you want to pay somebody money, pay them a livable wage and not chump change. Thank you, Arata. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. You can find more episodes of the Speaking of Resilience podcast at our website, groundworkcenter.org slash podcast, miclimateaction.org slash podcast, or on all major podcast platforms. If you appreciate this content and want more of it, stay up to date by subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps other listeners find the Speaking of Resilient podcast. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Groundwork Center and at MI Climate Action. Speaking of Resilience is created by the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities and the Michigan Climate Action Network. This episode was produced by Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media in collaboration with Nick Loud of the Boardman Review.